0: Well, good morning. good morning. Those are bright lights. Well, Wade mentioned a moment ago, but I will never complain about rain again. Uh, last week, April 25th, was my birthday, and it snowed six inches. And uh, I was not dreaming of a white birthday, but God saw fit to give me a white birthday. And so I don't complain about rain anymore. Rain is a good thing. I'm, it, when it comes down in that form rather than snow form, I'm as happy as I can be. My name is Stephen Carson. Uh, My wife is Kay, and uh, we have two boys, Silas, who is seven, going on eight, which to a kid that age, going on eight is very important, and we have a a five-year-old boy, Ollie, and they'll be in the second service with us. They are uh, at my parents' house, probably asleep right now, and uh, I look around right now, and I know many of your faces, many of you I don't know, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing. God has blessed this church, obviously, with growth. Uh, numeric growth. And I, I think the last time I was here, Wade, I think the backdrop was still here. You're still building this. And so this building looks great. God has God really blessed this church. Wade mentioned a moment ago that, uh, that I was part of, my wife and I, we were part of the original core group. Is my microphone on? Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, we were part of the original core group that came over in 2002. There were around 30 of us that came. And so uh, from the very beginning, I, I know that the vision of this church has been to expand God's kingdom across the street, and around the world. And I want you to know uh, that you are doing that. Uh, I look around at just all that God has done in 15 years here, the incredible story of Longview Point, and uh, just what he is doing here, and what he is using this church to do uh, in North America, and literally all over the world. And so I'm excited for you. I find great joy in seeing what God is doing here. A moment ago, I was looking around on the stage, and A couple of kids that were in my youth group, they're probably 30 now, but they're still, they were kids at the time, uh, that were in the youth group early on were up there, and it just, it does my heart good to see what God is doing here at Longview Point. I am, as Wade mentioned a moment ago, the pastor of Connection Church in Belfouche, South Dakota. Anyone ever been to Belfouche? All right, several of you. Any of you never heard of Belfouche? All right, most of you. Yeah, that's typical. I didn't. I, I assumed it was Belfourche when we first uh, thought about going up there and prayed about going up there. So uh, pastor of Connection Church in Belfouche. I'm also, since October, a part-time church planting catalyst with the North American Mission Board. I have no idea what that means, but I'm having fun doing it. And so I've been doing that since October. Uh, we moved to Belfouche around three and a half years ago. We had a very small core group of people that were already meeting there, about 15 or so Uh, And Longview Point has been a great partner to our church. So I just want to say thank you uh, for for just making our transition from Hernando to South Dakota so much smoother. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, please open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Uh, In this letter, Paul was encouraging a young pastor named Timothy who was struggling in many different ways, and Paul, as his spiritual father, was cheering him on. He was instructing him. He was cheering him on. Paul was approaching the end of his life. He was in prison in Rome awaiting his execution, and up to this point in this letter, in chapter 2, Paul has been reminding Timothy of several things. He has told him up to this point to remember your heritage of faith, remember your grandmother and your mother, the way that they invested in you, the way that they poured the word of God into you when you were a child. He has told Timothy to remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. He's told him to remember the scriptures and obey the scriptures. Remember to guard the truth that, you have, that has been invested in you, guard that truth, share that truth with others. He's told Timothy, do not rest in your own strength, but rest in the strength that God supplies you. And he has reminded him to this point in this letter to remember your calling. Remember your calling as a pastor, Timothy, and be faithful in that. In this passage we're going to look at this morning, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10, we're going to see Paul reminding Timothy of a couple things. He's reminding him in these verses to remember your Lord. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. And he tells him to remember people. So I've got two points that I'm going to uh, piggyback off of that this morning. Number one is this. We have a Lord worth worshiping. Do you believe that? We have a Lord who is worth worshiping. And number two, people have souls worth reaching. We have a Lord worth worshiping and people have souls worth reaching. And so what I'm going to do this morning, 90% of this message is going to be spent on point one. And toward the end, we're just going to talk briefly about, about the second point. So point number one, Remember our Lord or we have a Lord worth worshiping. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. Paul writes this, "Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ." with eternal glory. Verse 1, or verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. About a year or so ago, I was headed out the door, and, uh, and, and I was on the way to a meeting, and I was, I was on time. I was maybe a couple minutes early, but I was kind of cutting it close. I needed to get out the door. I was a little bit cramped for time, and, and uh, I went to get my keys, and I went to the desk that they're normally laying on, and they weren't there. Any of you men ever experienced that? And what is the first thing you do as a man? you blame, you, know, you don't ask, you blame your wife, right? I go up to my wife and I said, what did you do with my keys? And she said, I didn't touch your keys. And then the next progression is, then you blame your kids, which is probably a better bet. So I went to the kids and said, Where, what did you do with my keys? And they said, we didn't do anything with your keys, which I really didn't believe. And so in frustration, I'm late for the meeting at this point. And in frustration, I literally just threw my hands up in the air. And when I came down, my leg jingled. They've been in my pocket the whole time. And so I told Kay, she was upstairs, I said, I'm about to leave. I found my keys. And she said, where were they? I said, I guess one of you moved them. I don't know. And then I, no, I didn't really do that. I told her, I said, they're in my pocket. And so I had to swallow my pride there. Uh, How often do we forget things? We forget little things in life. And as Christians, how often do we forget about and take for granted all that God is and all that God is doing in our lives? Even the very breath that we breathe right now is a gift from our gracious God. And it is easy to take for granted all that God has done. And Paul is reminding Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. To preach Christ to ourselves regularly is so vitally important to the believer. Intentionally remembering and dwelling on who Jesus is affects everything about us. It affects how we love and treat our spouses. It affects the way that we parent our children. It affects our friendships. It affects how we view the world. And the problem occurs for us as believers when we begin to focus on and we begin to take we begin to take our focus off of Christ and focus on the world, we forget about Christ and we look at all of our circumstances that are around us and we begin to believe lies of the world. I'll give you an example, and this is something that happens often. But have you ever believed the lie that who you once were before you met Christ is who you are today? You ever believe that lie? And rather than understanding that our identity is in Christ, we begin to believe that our identity is in all of the things that we have done in our past. You know, Satan is the father of lies, but what is often so subtle about Satan and his lies is often his lies are rooted in the truth. That's why he is called the accuser of the the brethren. He will often speak over us what is true. He'll say stuff like, do you remember what you did? Do you remember 10 years ago all of the lives that you hurt? Do you remember all of the heinous things you did? And that's true. You did those things. I mean, that's, he's, that, is, that is not a lie. That is true. And what he is speaking over you is this lie that that's who you are. And that's all you'll ever be. You cannot escape that. You might as well just live in the past of all of the, the hurts that you have caused and all of the things that you have done before. And we often will wallow in the shame and the guilt of our past. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to embrace that as our identity. But what if we as believers remembered what is actually true through Jesus? What if if during those accusations we remembered that Jesus had actually forgiven us? He had actually washed us clean. That though we used to be those things, we are now new creations in Christ. We have not just been rehabilitated by Jesus. We've been regenerated by him. The old is gone. The new has come. What if we embraced that truth and rested in that? To live in a state of continual remembrance of Jesus is vitally important to the believer. So here are a few things that Paul told Timothy to remember. Look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. First of all, he says this, risen from the dead. He's reminding him that we serve the God who conquered death in the grave. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians fifteen three and 4. Listen to what he wrote. For I delivered to you as of first importance, primary importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This one truth is a non-negotiable. This is vitally important in the life of the, the whole of Christianity rests on this. The door of Christianity swings on the hinge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.18 says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have first place, or he might first place, or he might be preeminent. In other words, if Christ really did rise from the dead, then, then he has to be preeminent in our lives. That's the only appropriate response to a God like that. And Christians need to continually dwell upon and remember and feast upon Christ and remember that we do not serve a dead God. One thing that that just bothers me to no end, and I see it in South Dakota, I know it it happens everywhere, is I'll see Christians who who wring their hands about, for example, the the advance of the homosexual agenda. Or they'll wring their hands about terrorism. I'm not going to go on a mission trip because there's terrorists over there. Or they wring their hands about the current state of politics. And and in the midst of that, I often think it is as if the church of God has forgotten that our God is alive. He is not dead. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. And listen, a God with that kind of power can handle, I assure you, the transgender agenda. A God with that kind of power, I assure you, can handle a faltering economy. A God with that kind of power, I assure you, can handle anything that is going on in your heart Right now, any burden we brought into this room, he is bigger than that. He can handle that. We serve the God who is alive, and we need to begin to live our lives like that. Remember that Christ is the conqueror of death and the grave. Paul's telling Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead. Look at what he says next year in verse 8. The offspring of David. The offspring of David. He's the prophesied one. Listen to Psalm 132, 11. It says, the Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on the throne. And it was through the lineage of David that the Messiah came. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Let me give you a little context to Jeremiah 23. The, Jeremiah is lamenting the current state of this quote, shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders who were supposed to be leading the people to God, but instead they were fleecing the flock. And God brings an indictment before them that they have scattered the flock. And they had not gone out to look for those to bring them back. And then listen to what Jeremiah prophesies. In the midst of that dark time, there's a blinding ray of hope, a blinding light of hope. Listen to what he says, what he prophesies. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved And Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. There are so many more prophecies and so many more foreshadowings of Jesus throughout the Old Testament that we need to etch into our hearts, that we need to remember. Let me give you a couple of my favorites. One of my favorites is way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see a foreshadowing of Jesus right after Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, God is meeting with Adam and Eve, and he is going over all the consequences of what's about to happen now that they have, now that they have sinned. And Adam and Eve, for the first time, have begun to realize their nakedness, and they're, and they're ashamed. They're ashamed of that. And so God, the Bible tells us in Genesis three twenty one, made for Adam and Eve garments of skin to clothe them. Now, let me ask you a very simple question. Where do garments of skin come from? They come from a living creature, don't they? They come from an animal. In other words, an animal was sacrificed to cover their nakedness and their shame. I wonder who that might be foreshadowing. Right after the fall of man, there was a foreshadowing of one who was to come to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God to cover the shame and the guilt of our sin. That's good news. Second thing, all throughout the Old Testament, we see animal sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, In the book of Leviticus, it tells us that the high priest would select two goats and then he would cast lots and one was to be sacrificed as symbolically atoning for the sins of the nation of Israel and the other was to be a scapegoat. The the high priest would, would lay his hands on this other goat and symbolically transfer the sins of the nation of Israel on the scapegoat and then here's what would happen. He would lead that goat through the city and he would lead that goat toward the gates of the city. And as he did, the people would hiss, the people would jeer, the people would spit on this goat. The goat would be led outside of the gates of Jerusalem and sent into the wilderness as a symbol of the people's sins being taken away. I wonder who that signified. I wonder who that was about. As Jesus was led down a road outside of the city, He was led just like this goat. He was carrying his cross as people laughed, as people mocked, as people spit on him and jeered. He was the scapegoat for our sin. He was taking away the sins of the world. And that is exactly why John the Baptist in John chapter 1, when he saw Jesus, he said this. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. The scapegoat for our sins. Paul is telling Timothy, remember and trust the one who was prophesied and the one who conquered the grave. Let's let's just be real for a moment. Let's be real for a moment. Sweet little sayings and surface-level platitudes about Jesus, they appeal to people. We see that in our culture all the time today. People love sayings about Jesus that really actually center on man. Thousands of books have been written with surface-level garbage that is man-centered and void of the gospel, and though they sound good, they are hollow. They do not, and they cannot bring life and will never give boldness to the believer. When the storms of life are beating and battering a person, we need something bigger than a man-centered philosophy. Jesus came as prophesied, died on a cross for our sins, and three days later rose again. And my friends, if that is real, if that truly happened, then that changes everything, and Christ is to be the foundation upon which we build everything in our lives. There is no middle ground on this. We either surrender fully to a Lord like that, or we reject him in our arrogance. He is the prophesied one. He is the conquering one. And Paul writes here that he is the one we are going to preach. Look at verse 8 here. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Paul had a wonderful Savior to preach about, and he did it faithfully. It wasn't out of legalism. It wasn't out of trying to earn God's favor. It was out of a passionate, burning love for Jesus and an understanding of God's vast worthiness. Remember your Lord, Timothy. A.W. Tozier said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to come back to that quote in a few minutes. As I was preparing this sermon, as I, and as I was really just trying to study this, I was remembering Christ. I was dwelling upon Him. I was trying to feast upon all that God is and all that God has, has offered us and revealed about Himself. And as, as, I was, as I was thinking through this message, I just began to write down some of my thoughts about Him. And for the next few minutes, I just want to share those with you. And I just want you just to think about the greatness of God right now. I want you to think, first of all, about His Lordship. Think about His Lordship. God is sovereign over the affairs of all men. From the most notable of presidents to the most secluded men, women, and children in the Amazon rainforest or the, or, the, or the jungles of Africa or Asia, he is the greatest of kings, and yet he is intimately involved in the most minuscule day-to-day activities of even the lowest and most looked down upon people in the most isolated and impoverished places on earth, people that we will never know, but God knows every detail about their lives Our God reigns over every terrorist group from ISIS to Al-Qaeda to Al-Shabaab. He reigns over all of them. He reigns over all presidencies, over all politics, over all wars, even over all media groups. Fox News, MSNBC, he reigns over all of those. He reigns over everything else. He is in control of all things. His character is perfect. Can you imagine living your whole life having never had a lustful thought Having never had a sinfully jealous thought, a hateful thought, having never done anything wrong, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the magnificence about that is he is completely good. There is no variance or shifting shadow in him. He is the same and he is good. Therefore, there is never a moment that you and I have to wonder if we can really trust our God. Think of his wisdom and think of his knowledge. There is absolutely nothing that has or can or ever will happen that he doesn't have a perfect understanding and knowledge of. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, "Is it ever dawned on you that nothing dawns on God? There's never a moment where God has an aha moment. He knows all things, and Colossians says in him all things are held together. He knows of every pain that is being encountered on earth Right now, every child or woman that is being abused right now, he knows of every abortion that is taking place right now, of every miscarriage that is happening, of every divorce that people are going through right now, every heartbreak, every burden that you and I carry in our hearts right now, God knows and he absolutely cares about all of those things. Think of his truthfulness for a minute. God never tells a lie, nor can the thought of telling a lie ever even enter into his heart. He never breaks a promise. He always does what his word says he will do. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Man may forsake us, but our response to God's faithfulness should be the laying down of our lives, our futures, our comfort, our everything at the feet of the one who is completely, totally, and utterly worthy of all of our affections. Think of his grace. Time and time again, you and I have broken his commands. We have disbelieved his promises. We have embraced and trusted in lies. We have chosen the world over him. We have hurt and dishonored our fellow man who is made in the image of Almighty God. We have lusted after glory. We have lusted after people. We have lusted after stuff. We've trampled the goodness of God. We've rejected his purpose for us. We have made our pleasure our highest priority, yet God, day after day, causes the sun to rise and the rains to fall on this old earth. Day after day, God provides food for us to eat, air for us to breathe. God gives us friends and God gives us family. On the flight in last night, my little boy was sound asleep on me and he was keeping everyone else awake with his snoring. He snores really, really, really bad. Sometimes we think it's thundering. We have to mute the TV and he's upstairs. What is that noise? But as he was laying in my lap last night and I was just rubbing his head, I was just overwhelmed with the thought that God blessed me with that little boy. It's a gift. God gives us family, God gives us friends, and God has made known to us his name and his message so that in him we could be made complete. Thank you, Lord. Think of his love. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. Think of the steadfastness of God's love. He loves us with a love that is shockingly perfect and unchanging. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more than he does right now, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us less, therefore we can rest in a love like that. Think about the purpose our God gives us. We were made for a relationship with him. Colossians 1 says we were made by him and for him. We don't serve a distant God who got the ball of creation rolling and then left us. We serve a God who created and who is intimately involved in every detail of our lives. We who naturally seek purpose in so many different things. Only to acquire those things and find that they are but hollow and temporary substitutes for the real thing who is Jesus. When we become passionate for Christ, we understand what Jesus meant when he said he desires for us to have abundant life. He's not talking about abundancy by him giving us all of the little trinkets and pleasures this world can afford. He is talking about abundance by knowing him and loving him and valuing him above all else. That is abundant life, and our gracious God offers all of this and even more. Remember Jesus Christ. No matter where you are in life, if you are walking with God, keep remembering Christ. Keep feasting on him. If you are running away from God, I would say this, come to your senses and run back to him. Remember Christ. And maybe today you're here and you are unconnected to God. My challenge to you would be, think about this glorious God the Bible reveals to us. And the only, listen, the only response that I can think to give to a God like this is complete surrender to him. If you don't know him, trust him today. Remember Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our lives. And this leads me to point number two. When we truly understand the greatness of God, it will lead us to share him with others. I heard this statement recently, and it's a good one. Those who really believe the gospel will become like the gospel. Those who really believe the gospel will become like the gospel. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, a burning heart will always find for itself a flaming tongue. A burning heart will always find for itself a flaming tongue. Number two, people have souls worth reaching. People matter to God, and therefore they must matter to us. Look at what Paul writes here in verses 9 and 10. For which I am suffering, bound with chains, as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was willing to suffer prison and death because of the greatness of his lord and he was willing to suffer here it tells us for others who would trust christ and also be raised from the dead spiritually people matter if we want to look like our lord then we will love people and we will share christ with them psalm 139 13 through 16 for you formed my inward parts You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But listen to this. Aren't you glad for this phrase? But he is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. God loves people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. People matter to God, and the only way a person can be truly happy and complete is through him. There are people in my community in Belfast, South Dakota, there are people in Hernando, Mississippi, that are searching for completeness and purpose in so many different things. Lawson mentioned it earlier. You drive by them every Sunday morning and they're working on their boats, they're working on their toys. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having those things, I'm not. But there are people who are seeking fulfillment in those things and they never, ever will fulfill them. Never. There's just so many different people searching for completeness and there's something that is just wrong in their hearts. There's a huge piece missing and they, for the life of them, cannot figure out what it is. They are putting their affections into the hollowness of the things of this world, hoping that maybe, just maybe, this next thing will do it for them. And like Solomon, they are finding out they are chasing after the wind. They chase and they chase, and they think that they have acquired it, only to find that, again, it has slipped through their hand, only to find that the happiness they were looking for in that stuff disappeared. Meanwhile, you and I sit here in this room with the knowledge of not just another possible way for them to be fulfilled and have completeness, but we sit here knowing the one who lavishes that on us. If we were to go outside right now, if you were to go to the corner of Mackingville uh, and Byhelia, if you were to go there right now, and if you were just to just sit on the corner and just watch as car after car goes by, rush hour, say four 4.30 or 5 o'clock, and you just watch, there'd be people that you would know, obviously, but there'd be many that you don't and just watch as they go by. I can, I can assure you, I can say confidently that people would pass by you in an hour span who were addicted to drugs and alcohol. And they started with those chemicals, innocent fun, and now they're slaves to them. And they cannot get out of them. There, there would be people that would pass you, there would be, that are addicted to pornography, desperately addicted, and those those images have become gods to them, and they are terrible masters. They're stuck and they continually submit to their lusts, and it is killing them on the inside, but they cannot quit. There would be people that would pass you wrapped up in materialism, seeking to fill that eternal vacuum in their hearts with temporary treasures that someday will be destroyed. There would be people passing you that you would see who are in the midst of marital infidelities. And as a result of this, their whole families will for the rest of their lives suffer the consequences of their selfish choices. You would see people who would pass you who would be going through terrible, messy divorces or who are seriously considering divorce. There would be people who would pass you who are contemplating suicide. They simply cannot find what they are looking for and they see no other way There would be women who would pass you who've recently had an abortion and their hearts are devastated and crushed and they don't even know who to turn to. There would be little kids that would pass in those cars, small children, whose lives, even the few short years that they have on this earth, their lives are so confused and so broken. There would be some who would pass by who are so wrapped up in self-righteousness that they simply don't see their need for God. Their pride is destroying them. People suffering the consequences of their sin or the sins of others. And listen, this is why the gospel is good news. It's good news. This is why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who would call. The people who pass by, the people that you encounter day after day, their lives do not have to be that way. We know the answer in his name is Jesus. Several years ago, I was on a mission trip, actually with Longview Point in Ecuador, and uh, the hotel we were in was, a, was, a, it was an older hotel, It's, it's you know Ecuador's third world, and so it, was, it didn't have the amenities that we're used to here, and, and I was taking a shower, and as I was showering, I had just got through washing my face, and all of a sudden, this horrible, horrible stench came out of the pipes below, and actually, I was scared to look down, because I just knew I was going to be knee-deep in sewage. And so I kind of got up the nerve and I kind of looked down. Fortunately, there was no sewage, but something was coming out of that drain that was of the devil. I mean, it was really, really bad. And so I, at that point, I, I went into like turbo mode washing. I was washing as fast as I could, you know, trying to get, get out of that shower as quickly as possible. And as I washed my hair, I noticed that the beautiful smell of that shampoo. And you don't realize how good shampoo smells until there's sewage coming out. And so for the rest of that shower, I put the shampoo, so lathered up my hands, and I, and I washed the rest of my body with this over my, you know, while I was doing it. And, and you know, as I was thinking about that example, I thought of 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what it says. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, listen, through, through Christians, through his people, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. We live in a world of degradation, a world of pain, a world that is just, has such a stench of sin all around it and the church is to take the beautiful fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere it goes. We're to take it across the street and around the world. I want to encourage you, Longview Point, to keep being the fragrance of Christ in Hernando, in DeSoto County, and all over the world. When we encounter hurting people, introduce them to Christ. Be the fragrance of Christ to those you encounter. Maybe you're here today, and you've never trusted Christ, or or, or maybe you are unsure if you've trusted Christ. I, I encourage you to settle that today. I'm going to I'm going to share with you an illustration I heard recently, and I think it's a really good one. I want you to imagine for a moment, and I am, I'm about to land the plane. I've come in a few times for a landing, but I'm about to land it. Imagine I, I'm supposed to be here at 9.30 this morning, and at about 10.15, I'm still not here. Travis has already finished singing, and Wade has come up here, and he's just kind of killing time and telling jokes, you know, stand-up routine, <laughs> telling jokes, and I'm still not here, and at about 10.15 or so, I'm about 45 minutes late. I just come running up here on the stage. And, and I say, I'm really, I'm totally sorry that I'm late. You're never going to believe what happened. I was on Interstate 55 coming here, and I had a flat tire. And I hopped out to change, the, to change the tire on it. And one of the lug nuts rolled out in the interstate. So I ran out to get the lug nut. And when I bent down, wouldn't you know it, I look up, and there's an 18-wheeler coming at 75 miles an hour. And it hits me straight on, and it knocks me 300 yards down the interstate. And obviously, didn't know what it had hit because it ran over me. And then it backed up over me again. So I was hit by an 18-wheeler. I was run over twice by this 18-wheeler. But fortunately, I popped up, and I thought, man, that was inconvenient. I got, a, got myself kind of fixed back up again, finished changing the tire, and so that's why I'm late. What would you think about me? First thing you would think is that guy's a liar, right? Because if you're hit with something like that, I would, I would be, I, if I was even alive, I would be up here. I would be talking differently. I would look differently. I would have tattered clothing, and I would be in a lot of pain. Listen, I want you to understand this. When Jesus encounters your life, when Jesus intersects your life and you experience the love and the power of God, you experience the grace, when you experience something of the magnitude of the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, it has to change you. You cannot look the way you did before. You cannot be the same as you were before. You cannot continue to be greedy with your money. You cannot continue to hate other people. You cannot continue in racism. You cannot continue to harbor bitterness towards your brother. You cannot continue to care only about yourself. When you have experienced something of the magnitude of the love and the mercy of God, it changes you. It has to. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The only logical conclusion that my puny mind can come to is this. Those who intellectually know all of these things, that we've talked about today, and yet their lives remain unchanged. The only logical conclusion I can come to is this. They do not really believe these things, and they've never really experienced the grace of God. Because when we know these things, and when we experience, and we trust God, and experience His grace, if we've been hit with the magnitude of the love, and the grace, and the goodness of God, it will change us, and it will be evident to those around us. And week after week, I believe that there are multitudes of people who sit in churches all over our country and really all around the world who intellectually know all these things, but they have no relationship with Christ. And if you don't know him today, I encourage you, trust in Christ, experience his love, experience his grace, and experience the purpose that he wants to give you in your life. We have a Lord worth worshiping, and people have souls worth reaching.